morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into the ninth cover story, which is NL's great space operation, which explains what happened to NL after the events of Skypiea, where we last saw him headed towards the moon on his Ark Maxim. Now, my voice sounds a little weird because I'm getting over a cold, but yeah, this cover story is told over 38 installments that spans from chapters 428 through 474. Now, I know we haven't quite reached the point where this actually ends in terms of where the manga is at chapter 474. I think we're probably around more closer to like chapter 438 or 440 um, where we are in the manga or I mean where we are in the anime. But since it's between arcs and the events of this cover story don't really have too much of a bearing on the Thriller Bark arc, I figured it would be a good point to get this one out of the way so I don't have to interrupt the Thriller Bark podcast later on down the line. But anyways, a short synopsis. I'll go through the entire story in the main portion of the episode. However, the short of it is, is that after the events of Skypiea, Enel was seen headed to the moon in his Ark Maxim, and he actually makes it up there and finds these automata robots who are in a conflict with a group of space pirates, and along the way, Enel discovers some interesting history of the moon and the Sky Islands down on Earth. Alright, so let's move on to the review portion of this. So getting into it, as I have alluded in the past, this is probably one of the cover stories that I have been wanting to talk about most because of how out there and potentially groundbreaking influence it has over the events of the cover story. And, you know, the sort of the effect that it could have on the grand scheme of the main story. This is yet to be seen through, though, as I don't know how this actually ends up. As it stands, even where I'm at in the manga, which is chapter 1068 at the time of this recording, this one cover story has yet to actually be folded back into the main story, unlike the other ones that I've sort of described up till now. Anyways, enough about the potential of this cover story. Let's actually get into the events of it. So we catch back up where NL actually steps foot on the actual moon, which in and of itself was a huge surprise because when I read the end of Skypiea and saw NL kind of maniacally flying towards the moon, I thought he was just kind of crazy and was never actually going to make it there and was just kind of like in a sort of a delusional state after his defeat to Luffy. So when this cover story rolls around and with him actually landing on the moon, it was quite a shock to me and pun intended there. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is how the hell does he breathe in space and on the moon? Like, is that something his devil fruit allows him to do? Is that specific to the lightning or the goro goro no mi? Or is it because he's a Logia type and since he's lightning itself, he doesn't need oxygen? Although, we later see other living beings, namely the space pirates, running around without suits or anything. So maybe in the world of One Piece, space and the moon are actually habitable and have breathable air? That part's never really clarified. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a mystery to me, but we'll put that aside. And yeah, we may never get an answer to this because I I don't know when this would ever actually get explained, but NL stumbles across a hole and sees something lying on the ground and his first instinct is to immediately attack it, which you will find is kind of a running theme slash gag in this story (laughs) inexplicably. Um, luckily that being was some sort of a robot automata 
that was resurrected due to this sudden charge of electricity, we learn that this little guy is Lieutenant Spacey, who apparently deserted in battle, and upon returning to the battlefield, he tragically finds his fellow soldiers all defeated. The one weird thing about these guys is that if you look at their attire, they're all warriors of some kind, but they're from completely different eras and cultures. Like, Spacey himself looks like a World War II allied soldier. Then we see a medieval knight-looking one, a feudal samurai one, and then what looks like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> like He looks like, you know, that, that, that outfit that Teddy Roosevelt is seen wearing most famously in, in, in a lot of his portraits, as well as how Robin Williams looks in Night at the Museum. <laughs> but anyways... This brings up a bunch of questions about whether our real world history somehow exists in the world of One Piece. Like, we do know that samurais and knights exist with folks like Zoro and Gunfall, respectively, existing. But what about the others? Like, why is this guy dressed like a soldier from World War II? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's just something to really think about. But before Spacey can properly grieve... He's attacked all of a sudden by, from behind by a space pirate, impaling him, after which the pirate tries to do the same to Enel, but obviously this is an effective versus a Logia user, and Enel just immediately attacks again, disposing of him really quickly. Just then, a massive explosion can be seen on the horizon that infuriates Enel immensely. I mean, this panel is just literally a like, massive close-up on Enel's like, enraged face, as he views the moon as this sort of like sacred fairy of earth and somebody damaging that is going to get him really pissed off. Then in the next couple installments, we see that the space pirates are doing some sort of excavation, but we don't know for what. What's more interesting is the makeup of these pirates. It's filled with unique and strange creatures, even for One Piece. Like They're like humanoid, but animal hybrids, but they're all really strange proportions. Like... Their design definitely screams alien, and it makes you wonder, are these beings that originated on Earth and came to the moon, or are they native to the moon? Or crazier yet, are they completely alien, like from another planet entirely? Like, is there potential for One Piece to get like a sequel series when it's over instead of island hopping, they go from planet to planet hopping? I don't know. <laughs> I hope they don't do that. Um, I seriously don't think that will happen. But the fact that Oda's constructed a world where I believe that something like that could happen is kind of funny. But before we can see what happens with NL and the space parts, we then go back to Spacey. And thankfully, he's still alive. But we get a mini flashback to his creation and his life as he kind of reflects on his life now that he's sort of failed yet again. And it's kind of hard to see because he's like in tears and it's so sad. But yeah, as it turns out, he and his brothers were created on Earth by some sort of scientist. And I thought this was going to be the famous Dr. Vegapunk for a second. But given what happens in the next three installments, I realize that's probably not the case. And this man turns out to be a man called Professor Moonwatcher from Karakuri Island. His Japanese name is actually Tsukimi Hakase, which just translates directly to Professor Moonwatcher. And also, karakuri in Japanese can have a few different meanings, but it generally means, like, mechanical. So he's, he's basically Professor Moonwatcher from Mechanical Island, which is very on the nose <laughs> in terms of naming conventions for Oda. And it looks like he built these little guys just to have some, someone to enjoy watching the moon with. A very simplistic life, I'd say, but very cute. Tragically, though, this wouldn't last, unfortunately, as they're all enjoying 
They're moonwatching. A sudden explosion can be seen happening on the moon. And Professor Moonwatcher, from the shock, chokes on a dongo ball and passes away, which is really sad and dark, but also kind of funny at the same time. And you really feel for the the automatas, especially Spacey, as they're all in tears around his casket. What's also kind of lost here, if you really think about it, is this guy was a certified genius to create beings with AI so good they can generate enough feelings of mourning to elicit this kind of response. But we'll learn a little bit more about this later on. In any case, to avenge their father, they take the, to the skies with balloons a la up to get to the moon, which is ridiculous, but okay. <laughs> Once they get there... They completely get wasted by the the space pirates. And and then we, the flashback ends, and back to the present, Spacey is in tears as he was unable to avenge their beloved father. But then off in the distance, you can see NL just decimates the space pirates and their operation with ease because, I mean, there are very few people that can even challenge NL and his immense power. Yet, for some reason, when Spacey arrives to thank NL for avenging their father professor moon watcher and it'll just kind of attack them with lightning even though they don't pose any threat and this aspect of enel's character seems really strange to me i wouldn't go so far as to say it's out of character but what we've seen of enel during at least the skypea arc enel always took his time when it came to his opponents and almost to the point where he kind of like played with his food if you will so it just seems weird he just goes from that to someone who overreacts and attacks everything on site. I don't know, maybe after losing to Luffy, that kind of did a number on him and he just became really paranoid and doesn't want to take his chances with anyone anymore. But this is where the cover story takes a hard turn for the mysterious and interesting. NL goes into the cave that the space pirates were excavating and shockingly there is a huge cave of ruins with a whole factory of automatas and they look exactly like Spacey and his brothers. Upon seeing this, Enel then just randomly and immediately attacks the entire ruins with lightning, again, just straight off out of the blue. But this charges up all the dormant automatas, and after being brought back to life, they're all indebted to Enel, and now Enel has a new set of followers and an army. And this raises so many questions, though. But before we get to those questions, we have one more wrinkle in this cover story that really has some huge lore ramifications. As NL, Spacey, and the other automatas kind of explore the ruins of this ancient city, and they come to find these ancient drawings depicting the history of the people on the moon. And this is really interesting, especially when we learn the name of the city on the moon, which the ruins are presumed to be. It's called Burka. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because that was the name of the sky island that NL was originally from and the same one he decimated before he left to take over Skypea. This starts to make sense when we look at the drawings on, on the second uh, panel. It shows that these ancient moon Birkins were very technologically advanced and created these automatas way back when. But because the moon ran out of resources, they were forced to migrate to Earth and settle there. And it looks like it depicts three different groups of moon people that went down to Earth, and those appear to be the Birkins the Shandians, and the Skypeans, which makes sense from what we know of the different Sky Island cultures that we've been introduced to. So it seems that a long time ago, there used to be a very technologically advanced culture of people that were forced to come to Earth and establish a new life, but somewhere along the way, 
in the passage of time, that part of their history was lost to them as well as some of their technology. However, it seems Professor Moonwatcher somehow remembered or found a way to make these automatas again with Spacey and his brothers. However, I I don't I didn't actually see any wings on Professor Moonwatcher. So he either found these plans or he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a direct descendant of any of the the Shandians or the Skypians or the Birkins. So and it seems like he lives on Earth, like the the ground, not in any of the sky islands, which is also an interesting point. However, the biggest questions I'm left with after th- this cover story is how all this ties into the greater story. I mean, one of my f- first thoughts about this was at the time, could this advanced tech have anything to do with the creation of the ancient weapons, particularly Pluton, which is said to have been a battleship of some sorts that's capable of mass destruction. Is maybe the One Piece itself not so much a treasure, but could it be a technology or knowledge kind of tying into sort of the the whole thing with Ohara and the ancient kingdom that Clover was talking about and the Gorosei are trying to cover up. Lastly, I still have no idea how Enel and his new moon automata army will play a role in the main story again. I mean, will we even see him again? And 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 how is he going to fit in? Because it's so random. Like, I don't even know where Enel kind of fits into all of this or the moon. But I am dying to learn how Oda will manage to reincorporate these elements back into the story because it's so weird. I mean, this one's probably the most out there cover story. And I am just, I have been intrigued for decades about what this means. And Oda has yet to really reference any of this, which is interesting, but also, I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of this. I don't really have too many other theories other than the the two that I mentioned. There have been a couple revelations in the recent chapters that I will kind of mention a little bit in the spoiler section, but even then, that doesn't really connect or tie directly into this cover story. It just kind of widens the scope a little bit, maybe? But anyways, there you have it, a breakdown and review of probably the most intriguing cover story so far that may or not may or may not have a major impact on the main story. But yeah, I, I particularly always enjoyed this one, more so because of its intrigue and mystery uh, in connection to the main story. The story itself is all right. You know, it's the Spacey is cute, but NL, I don't know. He doesn't really do much. He doesn't really do anything or say anything or uh, he just attacks. That's really his thing. So it'll be interesting to see what NL is like after, you know, after when he shows back up in the main story, if he ever does. But on the next podcast, we will get back to the canon story and start the new arc, Thriller Bark. So yeah, look forward to that. But anyways, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter account at Podcast if you want updates of when I post new episodes or see some pictures on my manga collection. Also, I've started to stream on Twitch again so if you want to come chat or watch me play games i'd be happy to see you there at twitch.tv slash sunny underscore underscore go and as always i wanted to thank you for taking the time out to listen to my podcast i'll have a really short spoiler section just because i wanted to mention a couple things but if you're not interested in that stay safe out there and i hope to see you on the next episode bye
So just two really quick points that I kind of wanted to talk about in this spoiler section. The first off, the space pirates. It's interesting that they're sort of animal hybrids, and I wonder if these guys were either ancestors of the mink tribe and and how they became, but they're so weird looking compared to the minks. Like the minks all look relatively normal human proportion. Obviously, Inuarashi and Nekomamushi are really different in terms of their size and, and proportions. But you look at like Pedro, Carrot, you know, Wanda, they, they all look like normal humans with just animal-like characteristics and faces. But these guys have like really like squished torsos, long limbs, like stretched out faces. And their Jolly Roger has this giant head. And that also kind of leads me into the other thing, you know, in terms of technology, you know, especially with with Dr. Vegapunk finally being revealed to be one of those, like, big-headed guys. Uh, you know, clearly his was a devil fruit, but I wonder if there are other people with big heads. Maybe, like, Qin Zhao, he's got that huge pointy head. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting to see where that came from. But the real crazy thing that was revealed on Egghead Island is the fact that prior to the world government and the Void Century, there was a very technologically advanced civilization. And I'm wondering now if, if these moon people had something to do with bringing that technology down with them and that kind of kind of spurred them on to creating that ancient kingdom and because of all that prosperous technology that is why the other 20 kingdoms sort of banded together to make the world government and declare a war on them thereby eradicating their sort of that technology and the history i don't know it seems really i ha- i have to think that this eventually will somehow tie in together i don't know how i'm definitely not smart enough to co- you know put all the dots together myself but it just seems like th- that that sort of area is rife with sort of possible connections. Anyways, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about. Um, anyways, I hope you enjoyed that, and I will see you on the next episode. See ya.